This is the CU 2.0 podcast with your host, Robert McGarvey. Big new ideas about credit unions. Big new ideas about credit unions. CU 2.0 podcast. Here's the blunt news. The market for mergers and acquisitions involving fintechs now is very, very, very slow. What does that mean for credit unions, QZOs, and fintechs themselves? On the show today is Martin Walker, an executive with both Next Level Ventures and Circle, which puts him at the epicenter of fintech funding, especially in the credit union QZO sphere. A past podcast guest, there's a link to his previous show in the show notes. Walker brings some very good news, but not all of it is good. That's right. There is some very good news on this show. As for the not-so-good, well, he says the IPO market, for instance, is basically comatose. But he's very upbeat that there's a lot of capital available for early-stage fintechs, especially ones with tools to help credit unions bring in more deposits and operate more efficiently in today's highly competitive environment. He has some pointers about what's probably not going to get funding today, too. You're going to want to hear that if you're working on a fintech startup. This show is quick, fast. If you have 15 minutes, you'll learn what you need to know about this topic. Listen up. You know, the trigger for this was that press release I saw that basically said merger and acquisition and uh, funding for fintechs had not quite fallen into oblivion, but was way down. What's your take on this? That is what we're seeing, especially as it relates to later stage. There's basically there's basically no IPO activity at all. M&A is down quite a bit. So, so the exit opportunities for, for later stage companies has really, has really dropped significantly. Presumably, that will be a uh, – and this is all cyclical. That will, that will change. And you, you, you might say when. I'd say, I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball, but it <laughs> will change. Yeah, it's, it's not something that you expect to happen, you know, like to, to last forever. I think what's happened is it's, it's not so much that – 2022 was so bad but it's more that 2021 was so good there was there was so much activity in 2021 there was so much money being invested the valuations went through the roof and so now the challenge on that exit side is if the the valuations come 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 back to normal well if you went and raised money at a at a really high valuation in 2021 and you're going out to try to exit in 2022. You're, you, you know, you're gonna you're gonna exit below that, and nobody wants to do that. So that's part of the reason that you've seen it slow down so much. But kind of as as these companies have time to grow into those 2021 valuations over the next couple of years, you know, we would we would expect to see that that activity increase. Um, now, what's the usual timeline for one of these things? A year sounds like a pretty short in and out strategy. Yeah, I mean from our perspective when we make an investment we're we're planning on being in that company for 5 to 7 years in some cases we might be in it for 10 years. We have a 10 year fund. So so that's kind of our expectations. Sometimes it happens sooner. We we had one company that we invested in and then they were they were sold 11 months later, but but that's a lot more rapid than we would normally see. Now, how does this affect if, or maybe it doesn't affect funding for uh, QZOs? It affects it. You know, if you if you kind of place the the fulcrum of the lever of valuations 
is down closer towards the the early stage side of the equation. So the earlier your company is, the less you're going to be impacted by these these valuation fluctuations on the exit side because you're so far away from your exit. So er, earlier stage companies are still getting funded, not not at as high evaluations as before, but still happening. And that applies to to QSOs and and non-QSOs. You know, the one thing that QSOs have is a little bit of an advantage is, you know, they can go out and raise money from credit unions. And when credit unions directly invest in QSOs, in some cases, they get commercial considerations for that. So if they're also buying that company's product, they might get some sort of a discount as, as part of their investment. So a lot of times the credit union will count that as part of the return on the investment, that savings that they're getting on the on the contract itself. So in those cases, they may be less sensitive to the valuation itself because they're still getting value from the partnership. And not all QZOs are formed with an exit strategy in mind. In fact, I think quite a few of them don't seem to have any exit strategy. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's there's lifestyle businesses essentially that you know they they want to continue to serve the credit union space indefinitely. You know, they didn't form their company with the purpose of exiting at some point. If if the right offer comes along someday, maybe they will, but but that wasn't the plan necessarily. And those aren't necessarily great candidates for venture funding, but they can be very good candidates for credit union funding because the credit union just wants to continue to use those products and services. And they're less concerned with the exit if they're getting that that added value in the in the business arrangement. Most of the QSOs I know were funded by two, four, eight, ten credit unions. And yeah. maybe there was a little venture money thrown in. Quite a few of the cases I'm thinking of, there was not. It was all credit union money. And I don't yeah. think there ever was a discussion of, uh, well, someday we're going to sell this sucker. I, I don't think that came up. Because it was the QZ was providing a service those credit unions wanted, and they thought they could get it better. And the only thing that would change is if they said, well, your service isn't good anymore. That, that would yeah. change. That's right. And I think there's a few examples out there where where one QSO has acquired another QSO, but the you know, the exit wasn't necessarily part of the original plan. There was just a, a good synergy between the two companies and together they could do more to serve the credit union space. So it, it happens here and there, but you know, I think part part of where it changed is when when we came along with Circle Fund with the idea of having this this fund created for strategic investment. So now we're able to bring fintechs into the the credit union space and into the QSO space that do have an exit strategy, but but without us and maybe a few credit unions coming in alongside us for investment, they probably wouldn't have registered as a QSO. They probably would have just done business as a corporation and sold to credit unions and non-credit unions. Well, credit unions, and you know this better than I, but they have been a pretty good source of, of funding for fintechs, you know, i.e. QZOs, for yep. a few years now. Um, and some of the big ones, the multi-billion dollar ones, have decent size. I know some of those institutions have a full-time QZO investment manager who's pretty high paid. Yep, absolutely. A few of the limited partners in our fund uh, are, are running the investment in Circle through their QSO as well. We're seeing that on our side too. So your your basic message is, yeah, the the 
the news you may be reading is kind of gloomy, but there's still a decent amount of money available, particularly for early stage fintechs. It's interesting right now. The last I saw, there's a record amount of dry powder or available money for investment. So there's a lot of large funds that raised a lot of money and they're deploying it more slowly. So the the money is absolutely out there. It's just a matter of having the right the right product kind of at the right time and and that valuation question, you know, is, is something the investor and the and the entrepreneur are going to have to agree on. A year or two ago, and if you've invested in these, you can punch me the next time you see me, but <laughs> you won't be able to punch me virtually, so I'm okay now. A lot of goofy money was being thrown at BNPL plays, I think. Well, when you see somebody like Klarna that has right. a valuation adjustment, that's you know, we're gonna we're gonna go from forty some billion to you know less than ten billion. That that lets you know that that something was out of whack. The reality is, you can only put so much money into a business. You know, the grow at all costs mentality is is starting to subside, and people are realizing these businesses still have to be sound businesses. They still have to have some sort of a path to profitability. Uh, otherwise, waterfalls of money will eventually dry up. And, you know, well, you know, we, went through, we went through the same exact thing. You, I'm, I'm sure you remember this, the dot-com era. Yep, when exactly. I would, I would buy, you know, oh, okay, let me give you a gift certificate for $75 if you buy something from me for $75. Yeah, it's, <laughs> oh, now I got a customer. Look at this, $75 sale. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the yeah, the cost of acquisition um and that's part of the reason we're seeing a bigger impact on the direct to consumer businesses because their cost for acquisition has been so high that ultimately it makes it a lot harder for them to get to profitability. Whereas when you look at some of the the B2B or B2B to C companies out there and a lot of those are the companies that serve credit unions you know they're they're not out there you know kind of throwing these crazy incentives at at the consumer just to get them to to sign up you know they have to have a a real business and the the economics have to work for the credit union in order to to use their service well i mean it's one thing to give me as uber did yesterday 40 bucks to use their uh, their gold belly product in other words they're they're trying they're creating and we'll pay for half of your order yeah half half Whereas if you try to get uh, Navy Federal to sign on, it's going to cost more than $40 to get them to sign on as your customer. (laughs) (laughs) So the the scale just becomes insane. Now, are there any kinds of fintechs that you think have particularly good opportunities now? You know, right now, I think um, for for what we're looking at, it still comes back to the, the B2B space. And, you know, we obviously invest in companies that, that, work with credit unions. Credit unions have some very specific challenges that they're trying to solve right now. And the the fintechs that can help with that, I think are the ones that are that are well positioned right now. So deposit growth is becoming a priority again. You know, credit unions didn't have to worry about deposits for the last couple of years. The pandemic money came in and they had more than they knew what to do with. That has changed. They've got liquidity challenges. And so Fintechs that can help with deposits can still help drive loan volume in a way that is for the credit union. Um, and then significant operational efficiencies 
just finding finding ways to do more to serve members without hiring more staff to do it because number one they don't want to bring on the overhead and number two even if you want to you can't you can't find people right now it's very hard to to hire the right people for some of those positions so operational efficiencies and deposit growth i think are two things that are going to be um, in high demand over the next probably year or two so i have another way to interpret that is Credit unions have an appetite for new technology that they believe will improve their bottom line as opposed to an aesthetic thing. Or wouldn't it be cool if we did this? Wouldn't that be fun? I I don't see them having much appetite for that. Wouldn't it be cool? I don't think there's going to be a lot of fluff. You're going to have to be able to tie it to some kind of a metric. Um, And credit unions need to do more to be competitive in terms of their digital experience and their their digital delivery. And some of those things that are pretty cool also help out in those areas. You know, the the next new shiny thing that, you know, has 10 more charts and graphs about how I can look at my 10 different accounts. How does that help anyone? That's that's not going to be something that I think they gravitate towards over the next couple of years. Now, you suggested when we started talking that you actually have a decent amount of money of dry powder that's available. Yeah, we do. Mm-hmm. We've delivered, we've de- uh, deployed about 40% of our funds so far. So, so we've got plenty of runway to make more investments. I, I tell you, if I were a FinTech startup entrepreneur guy, this would be the happiest thing I heard today. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, if they're, if they're working with credit unions, uh, send them my way. Happy to have those conversations. Before we go, think hard about how you can help support this podcast so we can do more interviews with more thoughtful leaders in the credit union world. What we're trying to figure out here in these podcasts is what's next for credit unions. What can they do to really, really, really make a difference in the financial scene? Can't all be mega banks, can it? It's my hope it won't all be mega banks. It'll always be a place for credit unions. That's what we're discussing here. So figure out how you can help. Get in touch with me. This is rjmcgarvey at gmail.com. Robert McGarvey, again, that's rjmcgarvey at gmail.com. Get in touch. We'll figure out a way that you can help. We need your support. We want your support. We thank you for your support. The CU 2.0 Podcast.